0: and welcome to Alan and Overy's Luxembourg podcast series on alternative investment funds. My name is Natasha Oskion, and today we will be talking about the economic importance of the alternative investment space. We'll look at how it has been adjusting during the COVID crisis. And last but not least, we will also look at why Europe, and more specifically Luxembourg, is such a significant hub for alternatives and examine some of the changes alternative investment managers are experiencing today. What influences their ability to raise and deploy capital across Europe? And why are they all using Luxembourg? To help navigate these things, I'm joined today by two of our partners from the Allen & Overy Luxembourg office, Peter Miners and Patrick Michaud. Hello and welcome.
1: Hi, Natasha. Thanks for having us. Hi, Natasha.
0: Hello, both. So first I would like to introduce Peter. Peter is a specialist lawyer in corporate law and advises on the establishment and operation of Luxembourg investment platforms for alternative investment managers. He is also an expert in M&A, Merges and Acquisitions, including domestic and cross-border deals. Peter is also the co-head of and Overy's alternative investment initiative globally, and ex-co-member of the Luxembourg Private Equity Association. And now I would also like to introduce Patrick Michaud. So Patrick is the office senior partner and specializes in tax. He also advises on the structuring of Luxembourg regulated and unregulated alternative investment vehicles. Patrick is a member of the board of the Luxembourg Private Equity Association. And together with Peter, they are both relationship partners for some of the major alternative investment players in the world. Welcome. So to start, I'm going to ask Peter. Peter, what is the alternative space?
2: Thanks, Natasha. Good question. Well, of course, the word alternative is a bit of a misnomer these days. The alternative space has, in fact, become the mainstream space. And I'll give you a few stats to prove that and to give you a sense of the scale of the industry. The latest 2019 annual Prequin Global Private Equity and Venture Capital Report estimates that there were approximately $3.41 trillion of assets under management in the alternative investment sector across the different asset classes. Dry powder was at an all-time high level of $1.21 billion, meaning the money available to deploy and make new investments is twice What was reported in 2010. And of course, you need to add to that dry powder leverage and co investment funds. So the actual amount is incredibly high. But what exactly do we mean by private capital or alternative investment? Well, we basically mean all of the different asset classes that are private in terms of private capital. So we're not talking about public stock markets, we're talking about private equity, venture capital, infrastructure real estate, and credit and hedge. But how have we got to such dizzying numbers? Well, of course, the space has been helped by a number of different tailwinds, not least the low interest environment, which is pushing investors who need to obtain a certain yield away from the public markets and towards private capital. And of course, there, we're talking about the pension funds that you and I depend on, Natasha, for our old age. They need to find the right levels of yield and, of course, strike the right balance between yield maximisation and the approach to risk. Another factor that's driven investors towards private capital is the sheer volatility that we've seen in recent times in the public markets and the tightening of public markets, meaning fewer issuers and more volatility as a result. Also, alternative investment funds tend to benefit from being slightly less regulated than some of their public competitors. Let's compare, for example, credit funds with traditional banks. In the private credit space, debt funds don't need to worry as much about things like capital regulatory requirements, which hold them back. And of course, once you start delivering good returns to investors, successful funds attract additional investors and fundraising becomes exponential. So, that's the picture from a sort of macro perspective. There's a huge amount of capital going into this industry, and it's led to an expansion of the firms that manage that capital, both geographic and also in terms of asset strategy or asset class, and also a greater specialization in terms of sectors. So, for example, traditional private equity buyout houses have added real deep sector expertise, whether it's technology or healthcare or retail. And traditional private equity buyout houses have moved into things like real estate or credit or infrastructure. So you've seen funds become more flexible in terms of the things that they can invest in. And going the other way, we've seen many of the more traditional debt players move into equity, well, starting with mezzanine loans and then moving into equity. So it's a very dynamic and rapidly evolving sector. And sometimes different parts of these firms are going after the same deals, but at different parts of the capital structure. So the buyout team, for example, would be going after the equity, but the private credit team would come in on the debt side of the same target company. Of course, there are regulatory and conflicts issues to be thought about in in that context. So there's an awful lot going on, and a lot of that action is coming through Luxembourg, as you well know, Natasha.
0: Thanks, Peter. That was a very comprehensive overview of what the alternative investment space is about. You've mentioned high volumes of dry powder that were available before the COVID pandemic and the deals that were very expensive back then. As the crisis has hit the economy in general in some sectors, such as airlines, travel and hospitality, were severely affected by the pandemic in particular, So how did all this impact the alternative investment space today?
2: Thanks, Natasha. Well, it's true that at the end of the bull run, which I think we can probably all agree well and truly ended in Q1 of the calendar year 2020, towards the end of that bull run, competition for assets was a real factor. But I would say that the COVID crisis has had two main effects, at least from our perspective. The first is in terms of capital raising. Now existing funds have been pivoted towards opportunistic investments and I've already mentioned the term flexible capital in our experience the terms of funds have become more flexible to enable asset managers alternative investment managers to pivot towards so you know distressed for example opportunities and managers have been raising capital that's dedicated to the opportunistic investment set that now presents itself on the market. So there's a huge amount of capital raising that's been going on. And again, a lot of that's been taking place through Luxembourg. But there's been a second impact, which is on the deal side. And I would say, initially, after the COVID crisis hit, many of our clients were looking to trade in terms of liquid investments. So many of the bonds were trading down, bonds which were funding Otherwise healthy businesses were trading down as a result of worries in the market generally. And so many of our clients opportunistically bought into those positions, but those were quite liquid deals. And on the more illiquid side, you know, we didn't see a huge amount happening. Now things are changing and more illiquid deals are starting to happen. Quite a few big private equity deals. The logistics sector is pretty hot in, in the real estate space. Infrastructure, green energy, quite a lot going on. But of course, some asset managers will have been bruised, particularly, you know, you mentioned the hospitality and the travel sectors, Natasha. Obviously, if, if you're sitting on a portfolio of hotels right now, you know, you're not feeling as bullish as somebody who would maybe be focusing more on, you know, the technology that we're using to, to, to run this call, for
0: example. Thanks, Peter. And now if you talk about Luxembourg and its famous legal toolbox, Patrick? Why has Luxembourg developed into the hub for the alternative investment space and what makes it so special and distinct from other countries?
1: Well, you know, uh, Natasha, I think uh, a hub, maybe you can describe it as a jurisdiction which is used to structure different types of, uh, let's say, legal arrangements. Luxembourg today is widely used as a hub to set up alternative investment funds, so-called upstream or fund formation, but also to structure and execute transactions at funds investment portfolio level, so-called downstream transactions. And when I say uh, transactions, I will refer to different types of transactions, which would typically involve acquisitions. So that could be acquisitions of real assets like real estate and infrastructure for real estate and infrastructure funds. But it could also, for instance, be acquisitions of operating companies for funds running a private equity strategy. And when I say transactions, I also refer to the debt financing. These funds very often take on to finance the acquisitions. So that could, for instance, be bank financing, but it could also be financing obtained via the capital markets to basically carry out the acquisitions. And often actually also, when you structure these transactions... You will see the use of Luxembourg SPVs, so-called Special Purpose Vehicles, which sponsors of the funds would use to carry out the acquisitions and enter into the related financing transactions. So the way I sometimes describe this is that Luxembourg is used, on one hand side, basically to raise capital in Europe via the use of alternative investment funds, and on the other hand side, once you have raised the capital, of course, you need to deploy it. So you would deploy it by investing into European companies, for instance, uh, by using SPVs.
0: I see. So, Patrick, why is Luxembourg being so successful? I
1: think Luxembourg has been extremely successful on the fund side for several reasons. The first reason is that we have an extremely broad legal toolbox. So we have a range of investment vehicles you can use to structure funds, regulated and unregulated funds. And I guess the best example here is the Luxembourg Limited Partnership. It's a tool which has basically been reformed, revamped a number of years ago, and which has become extremely successful because it's an extremely flexible tool, which allows the GPs, the sponsors, to enter into arrangements with the investors the LPs, from around the world. When we basically revamped that tool a number of years ago, we wanted to make sure that sponsors have something similar to what they experienced previously in other typical fund jurisdictions, like, for instance, the Channel Islands or the Cayman Islands, which were frequently used as well as a hub to set up funds. But there is another reason for the success story, I would say. That's really the regulatory changes and trends we went through over the last 10 years since the previous financial crisis back in 2008, 2009. So, of course, the alternative space, as we call it today, didn't used to be regulated space at all. It was fully unregulated. So it's only via the introduction of the AFMD, the so-called Alternative Investment Fund Managers Directive, that that space became regulated. And Luxembourg has always been a hub for regulated funds, for so-called mutual funds or usage funds before. But there were other trends, such as in particular the so-called BEPS Action Plan, the Action Plan on Base Erosion and Profit Shifting, which was carried out by the OECD. And last, but not least, more recent event, of course, is Brexit, which was kind of a trigger event and it really resulted in a situation whereby Luxembourg was heavily used by the managers to set up funds, but also alternative investment fund management companies in particular to keep access to the European single market in the post-Brexit world. All these reasons make Luxembourg the jurisdiction of choice and the hub for alternative investment funds.
0: Thanks, Patrick you touched on the deployment of capital in Luxembourg. Now, Peter, can you perhaps comment on that across Europe?
2: Sure, Natasha. So what we're seeing is the deployment of capital from Luxembourg investment platforms into deals throughout Europe and even beyond, whether that's a real estate acquisition in Greece, a portfolio company acquisition in Spain, a shopping mall in Germany. It's a very diverse range of assets, but the common denominator seems, at least to us, to be the use of the Luxembourg investment platform. Why is that? Well, Patrick's given some reasons. And I'll chip in as a corporate lawyer. I am a corporate lawyer, so I would say this. But I think in in large part, it's very much because of our flexible corporate law regime. We have a a long menu of different types of vehicles. And each of those vehicles is the subject of very flexible legal regimes. So if you want to Transparent vehicle or tax transparent vehicle or an opaque vehicle, if you want to limit liability away from your master holding company or fund, if you want to play with voting rights, if you want to play with economic rights, both of which can be very useful in joint venture, co investment, or management incentivization structures or asset manager promote structures, or if you want to deploy tag or drag mechanisms and confident that they'll be enforceable. You know, these are all very good reasons for using Luxembourg corporate law and Luxembourg corporate vehicles. So there's lots going on and lots of reasons why people would use Luxembourg structures. And of course, what that's resulted in is an enormous number of SPVs, a galaxy of SPVs. And some of the bigger players in the industry have 500, 600, sometimes up to 1,000 Luxembourg companies. And of course, with that kind of scale, you need to think about operational efficiency. And there's no doubt that we've now moved into an era where there are lots of well-trodden paths, lots of familiar ways in which you can structure investments. And as a result, there's a real opportunity to drive down cost. I think Luxembourg remains a cheap-ish place to hire talented people. And the people that we do hire here tend to be multilingual. And of course, if you're an alternative investment manager doing deals across Europe, that can be very attractive. We've also got our Banking Collateral Act, which is also very attractive in in particular towards creditors. So if you're a bank or a debt fund lending into a Luxembourg borrower with collateral governed by our Collateral Act, you can be pretty confident that you'll be able to enforce the security in the event of a problem from the borrower. And that contrasts sometimes with some of the long-winded, unpredictable legal systems in some of the southern European countries. And so we often see Luxembourg being chosen specifically because of the ability to enforce a share pledge over a Luxembourg holding company. Now, of course, we have seen quite a few of those enforcements, or at least threatened enforcements, during the course of the last nine, 10 months. And generally, I would say that Luxembourg law, the Luxembourg corporate vehicles, And all of the sort of governance regimes that go around them have held up pretty well in the face of some fairly formidable challenges in the form of COVID and, of course, its effect on different borrower groups around Europe. I would say in general, things like limited liability structuring, enforceability of clauses, the governance around distributions has all worked very well, although, of course, there have been some complexities in relation to specific scenarios. So we don't take anything for granted, but I do think that what we can be confident of is that the toolbox, as Patrick puts it, will remain dynamic and we'll make sure that as the trends within the industry develop, Luxembourg remains attractive.
0: Thanks, Peter. Well, that's all very promising. So a pretty mind boggling amount of change in the industry is presumably still ahead of us as a result of the pandemic. Let's stay on the sort of the Luxembourg territory for now. Patrick, what does that mean for Luxembourg as a broader financial center? And what other trends do you see coming?
1: Well, Natasha, as you can see, there's been a lot of action here over the last number of years. And I think a real game changer has been the fact that your alternative managers basically beefed up the operational substance in Luxembourg. So today, the sponsors have a significant presence in terms of operations. There's also been a shift in the types of functions they are running out of Luxembourg. I we'll would say that probably 10, 15 years ago, they didn't have that many people on the ground. And the people they had on the ground were probably more focused on back office functions. I think we moved away from back office to the mid office, such as risk management and compliance, and even to the front office. So today, what we see is that sponsors have also added higher added value functions to the operations which are fully plugged into their global organizations. These people are actually based in Luxembourg. They are, you know, designing and running the investment funds, but they also are structuring and executing the transactions on the acquisition side, on the financing side. And so we have a number of teams which are today based in Luxembourg. Whether that's legal teams, tax teams, finance teams, but also portfolio managers. And so there's certainly been a game changer and the landscape is totally different today compared to 10 years ago. Also, what you see is that there has been an alignment between the operations and the structures. And that's actually very much in line with what the OECD has requested under the BEPS action plan. And we feel that's also going to make sure that the structures they run via Luxembourg are much more robust these days from a tax perspective than before. The regulatory trends I mentioned before have also triggered some of these changes because there's clearly kind of a convergence in terms of the regulatory and tax substance requirements. These also led to different types of setups that sponsors maintain today in Luxembourg. Last but not least, I would like to mention the boom of the secondaries market, the growing importance of environmental, social and governance issues, the emergence of new forms of co-investment structures such as sidecasts and various forms of fund financing as trends that are there to stay. In one of our next podcasts, we'll dig deeper into
0: some of these trends. Great. I mean, that's quite a transformational change that you speak about. Burning question, Peter? You are an English-qualified lawyer based in the Luxembourg office. Does that mean you only practice English law?
2: Well, I'm actually dual-qualified, Natasha, so English and Luxembourg qualified, and I'm happy that I am, because everything I do is, or most of the things that I do, are are cross-border, and we're definitely seeing a shift in the applicable governing law from traditional English or or New York law-governed documents towards Luxembourg law-governed documents. We don't have any hard statistics for that, but certainly anecdotally, as a deal lawyer, I'm seeing more and more shareholders agreements, SBAs, and also flagship fund documents being governed by Luxembourg law. And there have been one or two announcements public announcements that one or two of the European institutions will start to use Luxembourg law as opposed to English law. That's not to say English law is a relic of the past. Um, We still see lots of documents governed by English law. But the point I'm trying to make is that Luxembourg law is more and more trusted by transaction counterparties for serious transaction documents. And that trust has developed and also a certain familiarity has developed around Luxembourg law. I mentioned earlier well-trodden paths. You know, A shareholders' agreement looks and feels like other shareholders' agreements, and Luxembourg law plays its part in that consistency. I think also the Luxembourg legal community has played its part. The law firms in Luxembourg have scaled up generally and added a degree of sophistication. And, you know, maybe that took some time. But of course, if you've experienced an explosion of growth, as Luxembourg has, then inevitably, it takes some time for service providers, not just law firms, to catch up. But we're investing heavily in a Luxembourg's office. And our competitors are certainly not showing any signs of letting up either. And I think I've mentioned once or twice now, but If you're doing a deal into a Southern European jurisdiction, then Luxembourg law and Luxembourg courts and arbitration might offer a higher degree of certainty in terms of dispute process than that Southern European jurisdiction. We also see counterparties coming together and choosing Luxembourg law because of its neutrality. So imagine a Chinese investor on the one hand, and either an English or an American counterparty, rather than taking English law, For US law, or indeed Chinese law, those counterparties may decide to opt for Luxembourg law because of its neutrality. So, you know, clearly this amazing bull run that we had has now stopped. And I think probably what we will see is an increasing number of disputes, just statistically from the number of contracts which are governed by Luxembourg law and Luxembourg courts. And of course, the big question is, how will the Luxembourg courts react to a wave of disputes coming before them.
0: Fantastic. I think both of you have demystified the role that Luxembourg plays for the alternative investment space. There is a lot that we could speak about. You've touched on some of the macro trends, you've looked at the legal landscape, and I think that was insightful, thank you for that. Can I ask both of you to share your final thoughts? Peter, shall we start with you?
2: Sure, Natasha, well, my final thoughts are really, but I think we're now in an ecosystem here in Luxembourg. It's not Mayfair, it's not Manhattan, but over the course of the last 10, 20, even 30 years, funds have been front and center of the strategy of the government and the financial sector. And now there are service providers across the spectrum of, of service requirements. There are increasingly substantial teams of alternative investment managers. And there are also quite a few investors here on the ground. And we all interact with each other. And that interaction is catalyzed by some of the great associations that are here in Luxembourg, for example, the Luxembourg Private Equity Association, um, ALFI, or even Luxembourg for Finance. And I think that is probably the magic ingredient it's the interaction among the industry players and the connection to the government via these associations. It remains a small country, even if there's an enormous amount of capital flowing through it. And you can be quite nimble and dynamic as a country and react and foresee developments in the alternative investment industry
1: as they occur.
0: Thanks, Peter. Patrick, over to you.
1: Thanks, Natasha. Well, I would like to add the use of technology by the managers and their service providers. I actually think that's a really going to be the key challenge for the future because it's essential to become more efficient. The COVID crisis has just accelerated this trend. I think our clients and ourselves are looking at that space and it's really exciting because we are confronted with plenty of new questions and also focusing on how to use technology to become more efficient in terms of the delivery of legal services. So I think that's really something which is on the top of our minds. We're working closely together with our clients in the alternative space to basically make that happen.
0: Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Peter. Well, it's exciting. You've left us much food for thought. Thank you for sharing your insights, and have a good day.
1: Thank you very much, Natasha. Thanks, Natasha.